We're going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes, so if you have a Bible you want to turn there, it's right after the Psalms, Proverbs, before Song of Solomon. And um, if you don't have a Bible and you would like one, there's some on the back table that you can just take for free, and it's also on your handout. Um, So we're going to talk about friendship tonight. One of the great things about the book of Ecclesiastes is that it's one of those books of the Bible that's just like brutally honest about everything. It just kind of calls it like it is. And uh, friendships and relationships can be very difficult and heartbreaking. And the guy who's writing this book, he goes, he goes by the preacher. He's very honest about that, um, about how the world really works. Um, but there's a lot that could be said about friendship. And uh, I could rant forever. And some of you guys have heard my friendship and relationship rants. I'm going to try not to do that and just try to stick to what's in the text here. But this is a really important topic for us because, you know, I, I meet with probably like a dozen or so students a week, like one-on-one, and by far, the vast majority of the conversations that I have with you are about your friends or roommates, okay? And like a very, very distant second is like your family, and then after that is like your love, you know, romantic relationships, love relationships, and... Um, and what I've learned from that time with you guys and from living my own life is that we all desperately crave like real meaningful friendships, like really deep friendships that mean something that are going to, I hear you guys talk all the time about friendships that are going to last after college. And uh, on, the, on the one hand, we really crave those meaningful friendships. And on the other hand, we are racked with anxiety and anger and frustration at the friends that we have or the friends that we want to have. And that's the sort of life that we live. Like, we really, really, really want this thing. We're like the kid on the playground, you know, like sixth grade, that, like, really wants a friend. And everyone's like, ugh. Um, (laughs) Because it's just, you know, you desperately want it, but you have this, like, really uh, mixed-up relationship with friendship. So let's read in the book of Ecclesiastes here. We're going to read... In chapter 4, I have the whole chapter printed out there um, on your sheet. But what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read verses 4 through 12. And uh, the whole chapter is on there, though, if you want to peruse that. So anyway, Ecclesiastes 4, starting in verse 4. Listen, this is God's word. Then I saw all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And, although a man, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. It's God's word, so let's ask his blessing on it. Father, we're grateful for your, for your word, and 
Lord, I'm mindful uh, of my own struggle to be a friend and to cultivate uh, real and true and good friendships. And so, Lord, we need you to be with us tonight. Um, Give us eyes to see and ears to hear who you are through your word and who we are through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, relationships are difficult, okay? I'm going to throw this hypothetical scenario out, and there are probably 30 of you, especially girls, that think that I'm talking about you, okay? And I'm telling you from the beginning, I'm not talking about you, okay? So, just be cool with that. Um, Believe me when I say I'm not talking about you, because this is probably a scenario I hear once every two weeks at least, okay? It goes something like this. Two, two people live together, and uh, let's just say she, because for most of the time I hear it, it's from a girl, because guys are like, whatever, I don't have any feelings. And, um, <laughs> and girls are like, yeah, I know, and that's why I don't go out with you. Um, so so, the, so I'll, I'll talk to the one girl. Again, I'm not talking about you. Um, and she says, you know, I'll be in the room. They say they live in a dorm. I'll be in the, I'll be in the room. And, you know, she comes in, and she's just, like, acts like I'm not even there, and she, like, basically ignores me, and uh, she's just kind of stuck up, and she, then she brings her, always brings her friends in to the room, like, ugh, she has friends, and um, she brings her, in, her friends in, and they just, like, treat me like crap, they act like I'm not even there, and it's the worst, and so, okay, so then I talk to the other, the other person that lives there, and they're like, man, like every time I come to the room, she's like super cold to me. And she just acts like she doesn't want me to be there. And she's just like kind of like mean and nasty and just won't even talk to me. I come in the room, she doesn't even say hi. And then I bring my friends over and then my friends are all like, what's the deal? Like she's really mean to us. And like, and I do not have the pastoral wisdom to have any idea what's going on in that scenario. Like I don't know how to help you. Because I don't know what's happening. Because apparently both the people that live in this dorm room are the worst person that ever lived. And um, I don't know how to help you with that. But I do know that it's real. Okay? Like, you guys have roommates. Okay? I say this all the time. That human beings should never be forced to live with someone that they're not related to. Um, It's just too hard. It's hard enough to live with people that you are related to. But especially when you have friends and roommates, relating to people is hard, okay? It's difficult, and it's fraught with danger. And so tonight as we look at friendship, if you have a handout, there's an outline on there. Basically, I want to look at why we hate friendship, or more specifically, why we hate the friends that we have. Um, Why we crave friendship, okay? And then briefly at the end, a little bit about being a good friend. I, okay, so summer conference is coming up, and you guys should go. It's a really wonderful week. At the, it's, a, it's basically $350 to stay at the beach all week with lots of people that are more tan than you are. and Because um, they go to, like, Georgia and Ole Miss. And we go to App. And um, I don't go to App. You go to App. And, uh, but anyway, so we have seminars. There's all these kinds of seminars. And so they asked me to teach a seminar this year on true rest. Like, how to rest. And I, like, laughed to myself when I got it. I was like, I don't have any idea how to rest. I, I'm like the wor- literally the worst person, and I'm a terrible friend. So I just want you to know that we're in this um, together. Okay. Um, so why we hate friendships. 
Um, relationships are difficult. If you look in the passage there, and uh, you see in verse 4, he's basically saying, look, the reason why people do all the things that they do, they work and they, they expend all this energy, is because they envy other people. They envy friends. And you guys know this. You guys play the comparison game. Okay? The comparison game is what fuels a lot of your social interactions, right? Like, uh, you know, when you get up and you think about what you're going to put on, who you're going to hang out with, you're thinking constantly about the other people in your social world, how they're going to receive this thing. Am I stacking up? It's the person that I, if this person asks me on a date, I feel like I should say yes. But if other people find out that I went out with them, then this is going to have some kind of social repercussion. And this is a terrible, terrible thing uh, that we live in. It's this, this envy game, and it's a, it's a, it's a trap. And uh, so it feels like most of the things we do are because of how other people might receive us. So we hate relationships because of envy and the comparison game. And we always want to be as popular as her or as good looking as him. Like, I would like to think that the majority of you go to the gym because you want to be healthy. But I know that's not accurate. Um, I I don't go to the gym because I don't want you to see me at the gym. Um, I just want you to think I get like this. Naturally. Um, so there's envy, you know, but sometimes friends, friends manipulate us, you know, like to the friend that's like, you know, they, 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 they're mad when you hang out with other people, right? They're manipulating you, like you only should spend time with them. By the way, this is a side note. Um, the Bible doesn't have a, a qualification for dating, okay? I think dating is good. I mean, I think it's awful, but... Um, <laughs> But, because I've dated. <laughs> uh, it was terrible. Um, but the Bible doesn't really have a qualification for a dating relationship. It's a friendship. Okay? So I want you to think, just quickly, this is a side note. Um, if you, you, know, you guys ever have that friend that's like, you will hang out with me and you will hang out with no one else. Um, if you went somewhere, if you went to cookout with that girl from your class, I was here in the room and you didn't call. Okay. You're like, that person, there's a breakdown here. Okay, this is not good. If you're that person in your dating relationship, that, that is an unhealthy friendship. Okay, so I'm just going to slide that out there and uh, just let that be. Um, so sometimes we manipulate other people. Um, there, there can be sort of emotional abuse in, in relationships. This happens. And a lot of times just relationships are inconvenient because we have our thing that we're trying to do, you know. We're trying to get our grades. We're trying to talk to this girl. Or to win him. And our friends, spending time with them doesn't really help me get a GPA or get a job or do whatever it is I'm trying to do. So a lot of times what I do and what I see y'all do is isolate yourselves. Okay? And the preacher tells this story in verse 7, uh, verses 7 through 8, 7 and 8, about this guy who's working. He doesn't have a son. He doesn't have a brother. So he's working and there's no one that he's going to hand this stuff off to, right? There's no heir, okay? He doesn't have a brother. He doesn't have a son. He doesn't have an heir. And so he's basically working for himself. He's not working for the good of anyone else. And he's, in a sense, isolated himself. And the preacher says this is vanity and an unhappy business. And there's a lot of reasons, I think, why we isolate ourselves. Um, I think the biggest reason that we isolate ourselves is because we're afraid to be vulnerable, okay? Um, Jerry Seinfeld, um, he is a stand-up comedian. I don't know if you guys knew that. And um, he says, you've know, you heard him say this. He says, you know, the number one fear in America is public speaking. And then like, the number two fear is death. 
So, like, if someone's at a funeral, they'd rather be in the casket than delivering the eulogy. Um, because there's a sense that when you're standing in front of people in your public speaking class, you're vulnerable. Like, everybody's looking at you. Everyone's noticing that your shirt is wrinkly. And, uh, you know, we're afraid of, of being vulnerable because we're, we're afraid. I was just talking to a friend today about our mutual anxiety over these things. Of Like, if someone gets to know me and I tell them the things that I don't want, I don't usually broadcast, I don't put on Facebook or Instagram, then they're going to reject me and they're not going to be my friend and they're going to turn away from me. So we're afraid and so we, anyway, we, we isolate ourselves. And you can isolate yourself by, I saw on Yik Yak, I don't know why. Um, <laughs> I just outed myself for uh, looking at Yik Yak, and this is a safe place, I think, for me um, to be, to say that. But um, it's like, it's a beautiful day as I roll down the shutters and crawl into bed with Netflix, you know. Um, we isolate ourselves by going to our room and, and watching Netflix, or you bury yourself in schoolwork. You're too busy. You're too busy for friends. Um, so some of you guys do that. You take, like, the lone wolf. I just, you never see me. I don't answer my phone. I don't call you back. That's what I do. I never call people back. Um, but some of you guys isolate yourselves by being around people all the time. Okay? Um, you're, like, the social isolator. You know, like, you go into a group of people. You get your social fix. You get your social, like, groove on. But you never really have to let someone in. You always leave the party before it gets awkward. Um, you don't let people in. You don't serve someone else. Because, okay, for some of you guys, you've struggled to find a, a social group, okay? That's a real struggle, and like, hear me saying that's real, and that's difficult. Um, but a lot of you guys, it's really easy to be with people all the time. Some of you, it would be harder to be alone than to be with other people, okay? Some of you guys, you're in a fraternity or girls in a sorority, or you live with a bunch of roommates. And, like, it's really hard, actually, to be Alone, And the thing about college is, you're going to realize, uh, I'm just like a couple of steps down the road from you, you're going to realize how easy it was to be with people when you're in college. Like, a lot of your time is unstructured social time. You're hanging out at Sanford Mall, you're hanging at Crossroads, you're just together. And once you get out of college, you will realize, I felt like all these people were my friends, because I saw them all the time, but I wasn't actually friends with them, I was just around them by myself. This is like me and my wife sitting on the bed at night, and we're both, we're together, but we're both looking at our phone, you know? Um, we're together, but we're still isolated. And once you graduate, you're going to realize it takes a lot of work to, like, let someone in and someone to know you and for you to know them. And so we isolate ourselves because we're, fear, we're afraid of being vulnerable. We're afraid of getting hurt because we, we're tired of the comparison game. And those reasons and a literally a thousand other reasons are why we hate friendships and why they stress us out. They stress me out. But the reality is we still, we crave friendship. And the preacher talks about the vanity of friendship, you know, the, the, of, of going it alone and isolating yourself. But if, if relationships can be so depressing and hard, why do we still want them is the question. Because some of you guys are good isolators Okay, and you're dying inside. We're going to talk about that in a second. But um, especially if you're new to the Bible, I would encourage you to, to pick up the Bible. People are like, where should I start? Read the first two chapters of Genesis. Genesis is the first book, also a great '80s band um, with Phil Collins, and um, you know some of their work. You just don't know those Genesis. Anyway, um, so pick up Genesis and read the first two books about how God created the world. Okay. 
God created the world by speaking things into being, right? So, so you guys know, know how it goes probably, you know, God was there and he said, let there be light. And then there was light, right? And he said these things like, let there be land, let there be, you know, all the planets and stars, let there be water, let there be fish and animals. And after all of those things, he says, he, it says he looked, the Lord looked on it and declared that it was good. He like would make, he would made light and he was like, that's good, which is weird, you know? Because theoretically, he's alone. So, like, why is he saying to, like, land, you're good? Well, he's affirming the world. Like, he makes something, and he says, hey, you're good. You're great. You're awesome. You're the best. But then when he makes human beings, if you read in Genesis, the end of Genesis 1, he makes human, uh, human beings, and then he looks at the world with human beings in it, and he says something slightly different. He says, he saw that it was a very good and in Hebrew, it actually says good, good. That's how they like, emphasize something in Hebrew. It was good, good. In a sense, he puts people on the earth and he says, it's very good now that there are people in the world. Because these are my special creation. He's saying, you are my most very special. The jewel of my creation is these people and it's very good. This is the same thing I do with my daughters at, at, you know, at bedtime. I put them down. You know, and, and I'll usually say to them individually, I have a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a baby, but she doesn't understand English, so I don't really know. Um, but I'll say to them, like, you are very special. You know, God loves you, and you're special to him, and Daddy loves you, and you're special to him. Like, you're special. You're not just anybody. You mean something, and that's what God's saying to the creation. But there's this one time when God's creating everything that he says something isn't good, Okay? So it's in Genesis 2, he, he's looking at the man, he's just made Adam. Okay, Adam was the first human being that ever lived. And he's looking at him there, and he says, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper that's fit for him. A helper that fits him, okay? And um, that has profound implications for, like, love and marriage and all that. But it has pro- also profound implications about relationship. Because if you think about it, some of you guys that are Christians, and I don't assume that everyone here is a Christian, and I'm really super happy that you're here if you're not a Christian. Um, and this is a really great place for you to process all these things, um, I think. But um, if you're a Christian, sometimes you think, like, the problems in my life are, you know, if I, if I was, like, if I could be good with God and I could stop sinning, then I would be good. But if you think about it, Adam had a perfect relationship with God. Okay, had perfect communion with God, and he was not a sinner, and he was living in a perfect world, an unfallen world with no sin, and yet God still looked at him and said, something's missing. This isn't good. Um, you were created for companionship with another person, and they're not here, and so I'm going to make them for you. We need other people, okay? Uh, a friend of mine turned me on to this um, neuroscientist, you know as they do, and um, named John Cassiopo. And he wrote a book called Loneliness, and he studies loneliness. And so I, looked, I, I researched his work a little bit. And by that, I mean I looked at a TED Talk that was 15 minutes long. And, um, but I put it on Facebook so you can go watch it. But um, in his research, he talks, he, two things really stood out to me. First, they're studying lonely people, people that are isolated, Okay, that spend, they don't spend time with other people, they don't have meaningful, vulnerable, life-giving relationships. And they studied the cellular biology of people that were lonely. And they had a different cellular makeup than people that had real... Like, if you are isolated from people, 
it affects you on a physiological level in ways that you don't quite understand. And he goes on to say that, you know, there's certain factors that contribute to, to an early death, okay? Um, like, and he lists them. If you live in a place with air pollution, you're 5% more likely to die prematurely. Okay, so yay for Boone, because we're above all the air pollution. Um, uh, uh, if you're obese, you're 20% more likely to die early. Um, if you drink alcohol to excess, if you're an alcoholic, you're 30% more likely to die early. If you are lonely, you are 45% more likely to die prematurely. You must be with other people. God didn't create you um, as like a person in a relationship with him. And then relationships are sort of a bonus. They're sort of the sprinkles on top. Relationships are meaningful that you must have it to be a human being. Not only are you, will you struggle mightily to be a Christian, you will struggle to be a human if you don't relate with people. And this is why when I wake up at 2 a.m. and I go to the restroom and I come back to bed... I have an undesirable urge to check my phone. Okay, and maybe you do this too. I know for a fact that no one texted me between 11.30 p.m. and 2 a.m. But I'm like, maybe somebody cares. Maybe somebody's checking in with me. Maybe they need some advice, you know. Um, you know, I check Facebook even when I don't have notifications because, like, maybe it missed something. Uh, maybe there's something there that I'm not. Um, Leslie Nope uh, from Parks and Rec is... The quintessential person that gets relationships, okay? Leslie Nope is the person that we all should be, but we're all too self-aware to be, like, that vulnerable, so we just, like, check our phone and act like it's not a, not a big deal. Like, Leslie is like, we are going to have a real relationship, and I'm going to come to your house and talk with you, okay? And you're going to tell me what's going on with you. What's her, what's her friend, Rashida Jones? What's her character's name? Ann Perkins. Ann Perkins. Ann Perkins. Um, uh, but Daniel put a great Leslie Nope quote up on Facebook today, and I, pr- I appreciated that. So let Leslie set the priorities here, okay? Uh, we need to remember what's important in life. Okay, Daniel, thank you. Friends, waffles, and work. Or waffles, friends, work. Doesn't matter, but work is third, right? Um, friendships are desperately important. And if you're, so maybe if you're into like really sad 90s music, me and my wife like to listen to 90s music in the car loudly and cry and sing it and our kids think we're weird. Um, but you know, Goo Goo Dolls had this song called Iris and it's just like the ultimate like, um, you know, I don't want the world to see me because I don't think that they'll understand but when everything's made to be broken, I just want you to know who I am, okay? Um, that's, that's not just what we want. We need people to know who we are, okay, in a real and true and abiding sense. And if you think about the gospel, so if you come to RUF or if you've never been here before, um, you've heard this term gospel, the gospel is all about friendship. Because what has happened is God made us for friendship with him, okay? God didn't have to make us. You understand this. God wasn't lonely, God is a trinity, okay? So he's three persons, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And they live together in a perfect friendship forever. And they're totally vulnerable with each other, and they love each other, and they affirm each other, okay? So he makes us to share in that. So we're supposed to be friends with God and friends with one another, but we've isolated ourselves from God and from each other. So when Adam and Eve are in the garden and they, and they sin, do you remember the first thing, if you've ever read it, the first thing they do is they get a bunch of leaves together and they cover themselves up. 
Because suddenly they're afraid to be vulnerable. I can't show you those parts of me anymore because I'm afraid of what you'll think, both to God and to one another. So the gospel is all about Jesus coming to us, moving toward us when we were isolated, being isolated himself and going to the cross. I was listening to a friend preach, and he said, you know, the most vulnerable like, position you can be in is to be naked and with your arms outstretched. And Christ is on the cross, naked for us, vulnerable for us. And the last thing Jesus, one of the last things Jesus says, Good Friday is coming up, and that's when we talk about the, the um, crucifixion of Jesus when his death. One of the last thing he says is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like, where did you go? We were too close and together, and now I've been vulnerable, and you have rejected me. Okay? Jesus was vulnerable and was rejected by us and by God, so that when we come before God, we will never be rejected. That we can be vulnerable before him. Jesus took ultimate isolation and rejection so that we could be connected and accepted before God and before one another. We crave relationships because we were made to relate with one another. And you are something other than human if you're not deeply relating with other people. So lastly, just for a couple seconds, a couple thoughts on how to be a good friend. And like I said, I'm terrible. I'm the friend that surrounds, like I'm right, I'm here in Boone. So if you're not in Boone, I'm sorry. I don't really know what's going on with you. I don't think about you. I, I love you. But I just withdraw from that situation. I don't call people back. Um, and I'm, I'm, I need to get call people back. Anyway, um, how to be a good friend. If you look in the last passage here, um, 9 through 12, so not the very end, but 9 through 12, he talks about how two are better than one in all these different ways. And it's interesting. As he goes through, two are better than one because they work together. If one falls, the other one helps them up. If they lie together, they'll keep warm and someone will be cold on their own. What's underneath all that is that a good friend is dependable. Proverbs 17 says a friend loves at all times, at all times, and a brother was made for adversity. Um, the same friend that I was listening to preach about this, his name is Sammy, and Anna's going to go work with him next year. He's a, he's a good friend. But he, he quoted uh, this article from Relevant Magazine, which I don't really, is it a, a Christian magazine? Yeah. Okay, I, I don't, I don't know, whatever. Um, but he, she, he, there was a, there was an article in Relevant called Generation Will See. Okay, get ready because this one's about to cut close. Um, in, in this article, she writes, uh, "In general, our generation today isn't particularly adept at making commitments, whether it's to relationships, dinner dates, or even church. We increasingly live in a world of commitophobes. That's you, um, all of you, and me, or at least people who don't who know how to text." Sorry, can't make it pretty quickly. How many of you have been like, it's five minutes after the thing, and you're like, oh, whoops, sorry, can't make it. I know that you carved out time to be together with me as a friend, but something slightly more favorable came up, and suddenly I can't make it, or I just decided I didn't want to be with you, and so I'm not going to be there. One of the biggest reasons why we suck at friendships is because we just won't commit to each other as friends. I'm not even talking about marrying somebody. I'm talking about just being there. Like when a hard thing, being there for a person, being there when you say that you're going to be there so that your friend knows that they can count on you to be there. Are you a commitophobe? Um, what would it look like for you to commit to a friend or a friendship or a small group? 
and be there and mean it. I know what you love based on what you spend your time doing. Okay? Do you spend your time being there for a friend when they need you? Um, Verse 9 says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. Good friends help each other to flourish. Um, Do you actively care with your time about what your friends have going on? Or are they just there for your social, I don't know, good feelings? Um, When I... When I was a kid, when I was eight, we moved to, from middle Georgia to South Florida, and then I was shamed for being super Southern, and I taught myself how to talk like not a Southern person. And, um, and here we are, and now I have weird identity issues. Anyway, um, <laughs> but when I was 15, we moved back to Georgia, and I had this friend that like, I played in a band with, and they were Christians, and they went to church, which was weird because they were literally the only people I knew that went to church, and I was not a Christian. I wasn't raised a Christian. I got saved in RUF when I was a sophomore in college. But um, I remember when we were putting the last stuff in our U-Haul truck, it was me and my mom, this guy and his dad showing up. And I was like, at the time, I was like, this is really weird. Why are they here? They knew that we were moving, and we were leaving that day at that time, and they came to our house to say goodbye. Um, because, they, because they cared about where we were and they knew what we had going on. So they left their house and came to my house to say goodbye. And that has stuck with me so long because it's like, those are good friends. Um, those are really, really good friends. And the la- last thing quickly, look at verse 11. This is what I want to leave you on. If two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Okay, obviously that, has, you know, that could mean a marriage relationship, but even if you guys have been camping, you know, you sleep back to back to keep warm, you know. Um, it's just the way it is. Don't sleep front to front, okay? Um, uh, you sleep back to back for warmth. And um, let that be the thing that sticks in your mind when you think about what does it look like for me to live with Jesus on my own? It is impossible to keep warm by yourself. You desperately need other people. Are you the kind of person that someone feels comfortable apologizing to? Um, a lot of things, but I'll stop there. Um, we hate friendships. We crave friendships. We were made for friendships. Jesus is a friend for us. May we be a friend to others. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that you have come to us in our sorrow and our sickness and our isolation, and you've loved us. Um, Lord, this is really hard. It's really weird for me to even talk about. What does it like to be a friend? I am struggling as much as anyone in here to know how to be a good friend. Lord, would you help me to um, apologize where I need to apologize? Help us to apologize. Lord, help us to move towards people that are hurting, to lift them up, to be lifted up, to be vulnerable. And to receive love from you and from our friends. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.